We're in chapter 4 today, and you can turn in your Bibles there. And I do want to remember what Paul did in the first three chapters. The first three chapters, um, Paul is saying all sorts of things about God. You might remember I talked about how the first three chapters, got it, or Paul is mostly talking about how a theology of God. You guys remember this? He's talking mostly about the doctrine and the theology of God. He's talking about who God is, and he's trying to establish that. And so he goes on and on about who God is in the first three chapters. He's talking about the blessings that God has given us. He's talking about the rich inheritance that he's given us. He's saying, he's saying all these sorts of things about how God's grace has saved us. He's given us mercy and peace. And, and he keeps going on and on about God. And then we get to this prayer in, 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 in Ephesians 3. He says, and, and, and we've got to be rooted in love and the love of God that knows no bounds and we serve a God who can do anything, he can do immeasurably more. So he's, he's going on and on, right? And then he gets to chapter 4, verse 1, and he says something pretty big. It's a pivotal moment in the letter. Here we go. Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, Paul's like, in case you forgot, I'm in prison. Therefore, I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. All right, we're going to stop. I mean, like, oh, man, like there's already a lot to talk about here, isn't there? There's like Paul is already getting started with something pretty big. And let's begin at the beginning, shall we? Because that's always a good place to begin. The first word of this chapter, chapter four, is the word therefore. Now, when do you use the word Therefore. You use it after you've made a bunch of claims and a bunch of truths and you've made, a bunch, you've made some argument and then you say, therefore. So you, you could even, it could be about something big or something small. It could be like, hey, it's December and Starbucks has new holiday cups. Therefore, it must be Christmas, right? And so we could say it in any form or fashion. And he's saying this after going on and on about God for three chapters about how God has blessed us and he's given us an inheritance and he's going on and on about his love and who he is and then he says, therefore, right? After he goes on and on about God. And he starts to turn his focus of this message towards the people and what it means to be the church and to follow Jesus. So in maybe some other words, more hip language, it's about to get real up in here. You know what I mean? This is what Paul's about to do. He's about to do some work on you and me. So let's look at what he says. We're going to go one through six here. Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves with peace. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. It's a beautiful, beautiful scripture, isn't it? So Paul says some big time things right after he says the word therefore, kind of connected to therefore, right? Therefore, Live a life worthy of your call. Therefore, be, be humble and, and gentle. Therefore, um, therefore, be patient with each other. Therefore, you know, be united in peace with one another. 
So he's just getting started, right? And so in light of everything that he's saying and everything that has, he's said about God, he says, therefore, these are some of the first things I want you to think about. These are some of the very first things I want you to think about if you are saying, I believe in all this stuff about God. So Paul, he, wrote these, he writes these very first three chapters, and I keep harping on this because I believe it's important for us to grasp that he's really shaping a theology of God, and, and, and we know what the word theology means. It's an understanding of God, and he's shaping this, and here, here are you and me in our life. Our lives right here in this room, we all have a theology that we work from, that we live and breathe. You and I have a theology. Now, they might be different, and they may be, they may be varied, and all of us, the theologies form not just from what we read in Scripture, but from our experiences in life and maybe your upbringing or, or the things that you've went through, and they, they give us a perception of God, and it, and it starts at a very young age, this perception of God. It starts, it starts even before you could believe it starts. It starts when you are just a little bitty, teeny, weeny baby. I, in fact, I have a picture for us to get us started with this idea of a baby. Uh, <laughs> you guys remember when you were a baby? Of course you don't. You're a baby. Anyway, here's some truths about babies like this baby right here. Babies are pretty selfish. When you were a baby, you didn't care whose ear you were screaming in. You didn't care whose lap you were sitting on when you pooped. You didn't care whose shoulder you spit up on. You didn't care who was sleeping. You didn't care what time it is. Whenever it was, you were hungry, whenever you were uncomfortable, you let whoever know whenever and whatever time it was, right? You were pretty selfish as a baby because your hunger, your thirst, your comfort, your relief, it's all that mattered to you. Are there any parents? That's right. Are there any parents in the room with the, with the fresh babies, you know, one year, one year and younger? Any babies, fresh babies in the room? Yeah, a few of us. So <clears throat> do they care about anything but themselves? No. They don't. Babies don't care about anything but themselves. This whole babies are innocent lie that we've been told. <laughs> Heck no, babies are like selfish egomaniacs. That's what they are. But we love them. I mean, I'm not a baby hater. I love babies. I believe in the creation of babies. Lots of them. Make babies. If you're married. <laughs> so... So I want to break this down a little bit and go to the next slide. We're talking about an understanding of God. When you were a baby, you started understanding God in some ways. All right. Now, we'll call this God 1.0. When you started to understand God, and this is mostly carried out through the parents because it's the parents who satisfy your needs and your wants and your commands. It's the parents who work to tirelessly keep you happy. It's, it's the parents who do all the work. And what's going on, though, is as a baby, you're forming this understanding of a primal trust, a primal trust that there is someone, something that's going to take care of you. Someone is going to provide for your needs. Someone's going to take care of you. And this is, this is shaping your theology more than you even get, because it's actually shaping that you, can, you need someone in life to take care of you. And so you have this understanding of God, this primal understanding of God is shaped in which someone else is going to take care of you. And this is why for the poor children that don't have parents and a parental caretaker during their infant years, it's why they struggle with trust so much throughout the rest of their life. And so there's this thing that's happening that's 
foundational and primal right here, even as children where you are starting to understand how to be trustworthy. You're turning understanding how to, to trust some figure in your life to take care of you. And then as you grow into toddlerhood and you begin to navigate the world a little bit better and understand more, uh, well, some things start happening. Life is still pretty much about you as a toddler. Um, you don't think much about any others, but occasionally you have this generous sort of feeling tingling in your soul when you're a little toddler. This is the age whenever you're eating Cheerios, you know, and you're like stuffing them gooey, sloppy, nasty Cheerios in your mouth. You know what I'm talking about? And, and you're eating them. And then you have this moment when you're eating them when you've, this generous tingle starts to come up in you and you're like, I need to share this with my mom. And so you take, you take the Cheerio gooey and slobbery out of your mouth and you, you lift it up to your mother to share and both parents look at the child and go, oh, wow, this is unbelievable. He's sharing. He wants to share. And so the mother does not want to hurt your feelings and takes the slobbery, gooey Cheerio and eats the Cheerio, right? Because she understands the significance of the moment while the dad looks on in horror. <laughs> then you head to preschool where you begin playing with other kids and Every toy is potentially survival of the fittest, right? But your teacher at preschool keeps teaching you about this word called sharing, and after six or seven fights with Eddie Spaghetti, you finally <laughs> allow him to play with the Barbie. And the teacher <laughs> then praises you and gives you a treat, and you understand that sharing is better than biting. And... You're graduating to God 2.0. And God 2.0 is, is, is a tough step because life no longer is just about you. It's about understanding there's other people in the world that, that seem to matter as well. And you start to learn that sharing and kindness and generosity and even love are important characteristics as you enter into childhood and as you grow older into childhood and you even get into your teenage years, you begin to form more of an understanding of life. And you're in school, and, and now the world is full of rules. There's rules about everything. There's rules about grammar and math. There's rules if you play sports. This is rules about life. Your parents start setting rules, things you can say, can't say, can't watch, can't watch, can do, can't do, right? There's just rules about everything. And you're trying to navigate, what are the rules that I can live into? What are the rules that I don't like? How do I not break the rules? And so life at this stage, even as you enter into uh, the time when you get your driver's license and you understand the rules of the road, by this time you're starting to really figure out the rules, the spoken and unspoken rules of society, right? And you're, you're starting to grasp this and you enter into young adulthood and life has become very much about it's about fairness. It's about what is, who, are the, who are the rule keepers and the rule breakers because the rule keepers should be rewarded and the rule breakers should be punished. And so this is a formulation of our theology because then what starts happening is we start understanding authority figures in our life and we start understanding who has authority and who doesn't. And in some ways, when it comes to our faith, it becomes about what rules do I need to keep in order to make my authority figures happy, if that be my small group leader or pastor if you're in a church, or really ultimately God, right? Like, 
what does it make, what do I need to do to really please God by keeping the rules? And so it's like growth rings on a tree. You just keep growing a little bit more with a deeper and larger understanding of God. And so if you look at this God 1.0, 2.0, and then this next one, God 3.0, you start to see this maturation of your understanding of God in which God 1.0 is really your dependency and your understanding that you can trust God to take care of you as you grow older, that life is not just about you, but it's about a generous, kind, doing good things in this world kind of person. And then this understanding of that, really the 3.0 understanding is that it's not just about the authority, but it's about the lordship of Jesus in your life. And so what happens with so many of us, though, is we get stuck or we've never really matured beyond this view of God. Maybe some of us are like, God is just here to take care of me, and that's the way we live, and our life is pretty much about us. Some of us are stuck in God 1.0, and it has nothing to do with the size of your body. It has to do with the size of your heart, right, and the size of your understanding of the Spirit. And so you get stuck in this, this really sort of immature sort of understanding of our theology and our understanding of God. God 2.0, maybe you think, well, yeah, it's not just about me, but I have to go and just be a good person. God 2.0. Or, or perhaps you're like, well, no, no, no. It's about me. Like really, and a lot of people, they bleed into legalism or they bleed into judgmental sort of types of people that get stuck in this God 3.0 where it's all about who are the rule, rule keepers and the rule breakers. And, and, and we start to get stuck in these mentalities of God. And so... As you get older, though, years later, you start a career and you fall in love and you begin to understand that this whole idea of two becoming one and life becomes a lot different. You begin learning that working on your own is not as good as working with, with others and you value what other people bring to the table. You value what other people bring to the world. And a deeper understanding of God begins to form. We'll just call it God 4.0. And at this stage, you serve because you want to, not because you feel obligated to. Teamwork is not just a necessary thing. It's a thing that you desire. You want to be united with others. Life is not intended to be lived alone, and you chase after that. Petty disagreements and Things that used to make you angry, they just seem to be not as important anymore. And you begin to see a bigger picture. Someone breaks the rule, you're not blowing the whistle, you're not judging. Grace begins to overtake you, right? You aren't angry as often because patience seems to just always kind of be in you. You parent your kids through the ups and downs, showing them and teaching them how to trust the Lord, not showing favoritism but absolute unconditional love. And you don't see the gospel as just the life of good deeds. You see it as a holistic, transformational journey through life with a God who can do anything. And so you are start to understand that life is about way more than you. So God 4.0 is something that everybody that's a believer and that's been in church for any period of time, they sort of get it. They sort of realize it exists, but most people don't actually find themselves living that day in and day out. They get stuck in these other versions of their theology of God. They, it's not a secret, this theology, this understanding of God. It's just a hard reality to live in. And in our growth, no matter what stage we're in, none are omitted. We have to go through all of them, but also no stage is left behind. They all 
They all matter. Every one of them. So chapter 4, where Paul is at here, is turning the page. He's saying we have this incredible God. We have this amazing God. Therefore, live into your calling. It's like Paul begins the chapter by saying, if you believe that God has blessed you like we've talked about, like he's blessed you beyond measure, that he's given you a rich inheritance, if you believe that, if you're with me in that, if you you believe that God's grace has saved you, if you believe he is a God of mercy, if you believe that he is the one who brings peace into this world, that he came down to break down the walls of hostility that exist between us. This is all the scriptures we've read so far. That he's come to break down the walls of hostility that exist between us. If you believe that, if you believe he's the peacemaker, if you believe that, that God's love, it's infinite, it knows no bounds, and that he is waiting for you to ask him so that When you ask, he will do more than you can imagine, more than you requested. Beyond your wildest dreams, he will do immeasurably more because you chose to believe in him. If you believe this, therefore, Paul says, let's start living into our calling. Let's start growing and maturing. Let's not get stuck in infantile understandings of God. What does he say just a few verses later? You don't know it. I haven't read it, but you've heard this verse before. Later on, I'll probably read it next week. He says this in verse 14. He says, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves. In a different book, he says this, 1 Corinthians 3, 2. He says, I gave you milk, not solid food, for you are not ready for it. Indeed, you're still not ready. He's like, Come on, can we get growing in our theology and our understanding of God? He's like, can we say we believe this and not desire nothing more but to grow in him and to understand more about him and to pursue everything and who we are towards Christ? He's like, come on, transition, chapter four. Therefore, if you want to claim all of this and believe all this good news about Jesus and God, therefore, it's going to mean some things. It's going to mean some things. First of all, you better start living into your calling. Enough said, like we could stop and we can go, let's talk about that, right? By the way, 4, 5, and 6, he's just getting started. Chapters 4, 5, and 6 are his therefore sort of statements. So, by the way, God 4.0 isn't a real thing. I don't want anybody like looking in the back of their Bible going, I'm looking for verses on God 4.0. Um, no, it's just a metaphor, friends. <laughs> we can call it God 7.0, being on fire. We can call it, we can call it fully devoted follower, whatever. I want to close today, when I say close, we got a little bit longer, but I'm close today on reflecting on these first few things that Paul points us to grow and mature in. Now let's put them on the screen here. He says four things. He says, live your calling. He says, he talks about humility and gentleness. He talks about being patient with each other. And he talks about staying united and peaceful. And this is where he begins. Again, Paul wrote this, inspired by the Holy Spirit. 
he starts talking, therefore, and this is where he begins. This is what he said. So let's just start with this first thing. He says, live a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Now, calling is a strange word. It's one of those words that we kind of use in a lot of different ways. Um, uh, for a lot of people, they, they, they tie it to a vocation or a job. You know what I mean? And so they're like, what's, you know, they, they think, I need to f- go find what I'm called to. And what they mean by that is I need to find a job that I enjoy and that I love. And, and, and that's kind of how we've used the language for a lot of us. So someone who really loves their job says, oh, I'm just called to this. And someone who really hates their job says, oh, I can't stand this. I need to, I need to live into a, my calling. I'm living outside of my calling. And so we kind of throw it around attached to a vocation. But here you have this Paul saying, Paul saying that you're, you're called by God. And he's actually saying something that I believe. He's saying you can know your calling regardless of your job, meaning sometimes we think that God's will and his call is about what we do, right? And I've talked about this a lot, but it's so much more about who we are. Let me just ask you a question. We'll put these questions on the screen. They're little reflection questions for us today. But right now, without even digging into this too deep, I could probably ask, do you live with an awareness of God's calling in your life? And when I say that, I I was thinking about this from a standpoint that I think a lot of people um, probably really struggle with that more than they would admit. They They kind of feel lost. And what is it that God's calling me to, and, and, and there's a lot of really simple things that he's calling us to that are right here in his word that we don't even have to ask the question or seek much about, and I always say, let's start there. Are we living into what the word has called us to? This is not a question about what you do. He says you can find pleasure and purpose in things that are not assigned to your job. Uh, one of my favorite statements is, God's calling is much more about who you are than what you do or where you go. So if you're confused about what to do in life, confused about your calling, confused about what this means, what, I would just say this is where, this is your growth measure right here. Like, we're, we're talking about growth. This is what Paul's saying. We're talking about expanding our understanding of God. This is a growth place for you. If you're like, I don't know if I could answer that question really clearly. Well, I would say this is a place to step into, and this isn't a message about calling, so we're not going to like dig into this too much, but I would say you can dig into it. You can go find someone and talk to them about this, maybe someone here, a group leader, a, a, a one of us, Mike and myself, Christy, whoever. Like We would love to talk to you about calling and what does this mean for your life. So he goes on. We're not going to stop on these too long. And he says, be humble and gentle. I don't think this is just Bible talk where Paul is throwing out some words that sound good. You know, some like preachy, kind of soft, like, oh yeah, do that humble stuff. Like, I don't think that's what he's saying. It's not like that at all. I I believe Paul is echoing what he saw as the central ingredient and characteristics of of Christ's life. Jesus, right? What does it say in Philippians 2? He, He made himself nothing humbling himself, becoming obedient to death on a cross. So the most, the most obvious example of Christ's humility and the, most, and, the, and, and the ultimate picture of his humility was the cross itself. But then beyond that, I can think of other examples in his life. And I, one of my favorite is, is in John 13, whenever he's with his disciples. And what does he do? He, he, he washes his disciples' feet. I mean, obviously, and even in today's culture, that would be a humbling act to do for your 13 closest friends or your 12 closest friends. 
to say, I'm going to, on my own, it's never been done before, but I'm going to wash your feet. And this is what he does, right? He does this humbling act over and over again throughout his life. And, and, and Paul is saying, this is how we must live. If we claim Jesus, if we believe Jesus, then we must be humble and gentle. So perhaps a question for us today, again, these are all reflection questions, but where do you need to humble yourself? And when I ask that, let me qualify it a little bit more, like is there an area of your life where you keep trying to promote yourself? You know what I'm saying? Where you're trying to get attention, you're trying to be seen as worthy or successful or whatever. Is there an area of your life where you're where you'd rather be served than to serve. And, and I believe this is really true for, an, for a privileged American culture, where we look to be served way more than we look to serve. Every once in a while we put on that servant hat, we feel like, I'm Joe Christian. But, we ne- but that's what we see it as. <laughs> we see it as something we put on and take off. And we walk through life who we are as naked people, no visuals, is we look to be served. Our constant state of being is we look to be served. And then every once in a while we go put that hat on to be the servant. And this and, and, and humility and putting on humbleness and becoming humility like Christ is a constant state of humility in which you are looking to serve. So I'll just ask you, where, where, where do you need to serve? Where do you need to humble yourself? Where have you become prideful? Where have you treated people like you're better than them? And I know this happens all the time because I can think of people in my life right now that I have acted like I'm better than, that I have acted like I'm smarter than. Do you know what I'm saying? Who do you need to humble yourself to? Who do you need to quit treating like you are better, consider others better than yourself, right? I, I, I believe this is a struggle, and I believe it's right, it's, right, it's right at the beginning. It's the first thing he says after living to your calling. Be humble. I believe order matters in the words and the choices that we see in the Scripture. Paul goes on to says after he says this, he says, be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because, because of your love. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other, other's faults because of your love. Making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. You ever, you ever it's, it's really, how often do we quickly point to other people's faults? You're like, ugh, that person. Did you see that thing? That, that, that. And this is what we do. You ever lost your patience recently? Maybe you're driving. (laughs) Maybe you are with your kids because no one loses patience with their kids, right? Maybe it's someone you work with. Maybe it's some. Maybe maybe you're a boss and it's your employees. Maybe you're an employee and it's your boss. I don't know, but you lose patience, right? And we could talk on and on about the ways that we've lost our patience. But patience is obviously a form of humility, and it's actually one of the ways that we practice love that we're patient with people. 
And I can tell when my love's really shrinking and it's evaporating is when I become less patient with people and less gentle. Are you with me? Whenever you're not gentle and you're not patient, guess what? Love is nowhere in sight. So, perhaps today, a question like this. Who is God prompting you to be patient with? Who is God prompting you to be patient towards? Maybe there's someone that's come to your mind. And then he goes on and he finally says, and I'm just looking at a portion of this today, of course. But he finally says, make every effort to be united in the spirit through the bond of peace. Now, we've talked about unity and peace actually quite a bit lately um, for the last number of months because of the tensions that are in our world and the political divisions and the racial uh, tension and the political and ideological and religious, all the divisions that are very prominent and we all see and feel, which, by the way, have always existed. Now we just have a world where we see it all really up close all the time. And so now we're more aware of it and we feel it more, but it's not new. Do you know what I'm saying? It's always been there and we're just now seeing it and feeling it like we haven't ever felt before. But the reason I'm constant, we're constantly talking about it because it constantly comes up in scripture. And Paul specifically speaks to it a number of times because this is a real issue in the culture today. The tensions and the divisions and the hostility between one another. And he's saying, right at the beginning of this, hey, the people of God are supposed to be different. They're supposed to be united through the bond of peace in a world that is so broken. And we live in a broken world. And it's, it's not getting any better anytime soon. But we, in our world, in the things that we do, in the people we're with, we can start to see one step at a time. We can start to see love pushed forward, peace breaking through, peace restored. This is a tough one, but I was thinking about this this week, and I and I wrote this question down for myself, and I thought, well, this will apply for all of us. But I wrote this, am I ignoring areas of disunity and brokenness in and around my life? Because here's what I know. I know most of us aren't like charging to create disunity and brokenness. Most of us aren't like, I'm going to go disunify the world. We're not doing that. Most of us, though, are experiencing brokenness and disunity in our life, but we're not doing anything about it. We, we've, we've chosen to just say, you know, almost feel helpless about it. And so am I ignoring areas, even within my own family or my own friendships or my own relationships, in which I'm allowing brokenness to continue by my lack of engagement and prayer, my, and my lack of honesty and hope and, and love in those situations where I can see peace kind of breaking through? Here's what I believe is I believe a lot of us, the reason that we know in our heads like the things that we're supposed to really embody as believers, but I see us stopping short of actually doing something about it. And so peace is fleeting and brokenness continues and disunity erupts. All the while the church sort of wonders, what do we do about it? And the tragedy in life is not doing the things that we're called to do. So today maybe is your day to acknowledge one of these things. Maybe it's your day to say, I need to start growing. I need to start growing in my understanding of God and the things that he wants to do in me and through me. Because obviously there's no end to our understanding of God. Our theology of God is a limitless sort of understanding and pursuit. But maybe for you it's like, I need to start doing it. And here's what I would say. How do you start doing it? It's a big thought. One step at a time is how you do it. 
one step at a time. And actually, in another version of the scripture, when it says, live a life worthy of your calling, it actually says, walk in accordance to your calling. Meaning, every step, one step at a time, walk into your calling, into the life that God's, into the, into the life that God's called you to live. So when I think about this one step at a time, I'm like, well, I can do this sort of step right here. I could, I could find one person that I have not been patient with and I need to start being patient with them. I can find one area in my life where I've totally let my pride and my ego get the best of me and I need to humble myself. That's one step I can take. I, I, I can look around my life and the people that are in it and I can find one area that is broken and that peace needs to be restored and I can actually engage it instead of choosing to do nothing for another year. I can engage it. I'm completely lost about my calling, but maybe today's the day that I decide I'm gonna actually go and start praying about it. I'm gonna try and talk to others about it so I can have a clear sense of what God's calling me to. See, these are one step at a time, walking a life worthy of the calling that God has placed on you. And so today when I said I started this whole thing, this is about life, right? talking about life and I know that we're up and we're down we're in the middle and and I don't care where we are I just know that there's a step that you need to walk into I just know that there's something even inside this scripture right here that you're going hey I'm not absent here I'm not I'm not the there's not every every one of us there's something in this short little thing when he says therefore live a life worthy of your calling be humble and, and gentle be patient with one another bearing with one another's faults oh and by the way be united together through the bond of peace. We got plenty of work to start with right there. We got plenty of work that we can say, God, I need to start taking one step at a time into the person that you call me to be because I believe all that stuff that we just talked about for three chapters. I believe it. I want to believe it. I want to claim it. I want those blessings to be mine. I want the, that inheritance to be mine. I want to experience the rich love that you have, the unending love. And I want to live a life where I can believe that God can do anything with me. Therefore, Live a life worthy of your calling. Be humble and gentle. Be patient with one another, bearing with one another in their faults. And be united. Be a united people because this world needs a united people and the church must be the most united people on the planet. Be united through the bond of peace because then what happens? Then? Well, just to, if you can go back to the scripture on the screen, I'll read that last verse. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you've been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. Let's pray together. Would you just bow your heads? What's, this, what's the question today or the thing today that maybe we've posed that you need to receive as a word from the Lord today? Prompting you to keep walking, to keep in step with the life that he's called you to. Let me just pray for us. Father, I pray for us as a, as a family, as a church, as your people. We're all living life and we all need moments where we realize, hey, you've called us to understand.